You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Baby, can't you see? Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am recording this intro from London. I've been sick with the cold for the past few days. Nothing major, but just even having the common cold really makes you appreciate your body. And it's when you really start to think about food as nourishment and the importance of rest and hydration. You guys on the Naked Beauty Planet Instagram group have been amazing. You guys have DM'd me so many things to do to like get over the cold quicker. Tea with lemon adding fresh ginger to your tea, adding garlic to your tea, or even chopping up a garlic clove and eating the pieces of garlic whole. I've been doing that for the past four days. It's kind of gross, but if you just like put it far back in your tongue and don't taste it, it's not so bad. And I think it's what's helped me recover much quicker than I would have if I was just taking the -the over-the-counter cold medicine. So I appreciate all of the homeopathic remedies you guys have suggested. Apple cider vinegar is another one that so many of you said, just take shots of apple cider vinegar. I've been doing that. Adding chlorophyll, liquid chlorophyll to water to increase the oxygen content. That's been making me feel great. Two things I didn't get to try that so many of you said you have to do, oil of oregano, and I've heard this for years, that oil of oregano knocks out a cold. I didn't get to try it. And then a new one that I hadn't heard before, which is to put an onion in the bottom of your sock, like basically to go to sleep, put an, slice an onion, put it in your sock to dry out the toxins. This was brand new for me, but apparently this is good for like the flu and cold. Didn't try it, so I can't vouch for it, but it's amazing what nature can do to cure illness. There's a tea that I'm absolutely obsessed with and I've been drinking nonstop for the past few days. It is a turmeric tea from Numi. It's a turmeric three-root tea, and the three roots are ginger, licorice, and rose. Amazing. I get it on Amazon in a huge pack of three. I'll link to it down below. It is my absolute favorite tea at the moment, and I'm pretty much addicted to it. It was also just a chance to slow down. I haven't spent a full day inside in a very long time. And I was so tempted to do things because I was at home with free time during the week, which I literally never have. I wanted to reorganize my closet. I wanted to make a bunch of face masks. I wanted to make my shea body butter, which I haven't had a chance to make this winter. But I just chilled. Like I really just tried to rest. Of course, now that I'm feeling a little bit better, I'm eager to get back into working out, but I'm not going to push it because when you start to do like physical, like strenuous physical exercise, you can relapse right back into sickness. It's never fun to be sick, but every once in a while, I think having the common cold helps us just appreciate our health in ways that you can't if you're healthy all the time. Okay, anyway, let's get into the episode with my girl Nagarin. She is incredible. I met her in London. She now lives in San Francisco, and I was in San Francisco for a work trip, so just grab some time with her. You guys are going to absolutely love her story. She's a fashion entrepreneur. She was born in Iran. She moved to the States, and she has a really interesting perspective. And I just I had so many questions for her about what the American perception of Iran is and how she thinks of it and beauty standards, and she had a lot to say. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. And I feel really lucky to be able to share these stories of these inspiring women with you all. It's what drives me. It's what keeps me going. So thank you all for the love and for the support. And thank you guys for sharing all your screenshots as you're listening and, and sharing your kind of favorite quotes and moments from the episodes. Thank you for putting your friends on, for putting your moms on, your sisters on, your boyfriends on. I love how all of you are kind of organically sharing this with 
the people in your life and getting the word out. So I appreciate it so, so much. All right, let's get into the episode. And and this song choice that is about to segue into the episode will make sense once the episode begins a little later on. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm sitting here with Nagarin Satter. Can you say your full last name beautifully? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Go for it. Nagarin Satter Hashemi Najad. Beautiful. My middle name is Sadat. <laughs> Beautiful. So now everyone can like stalk you. If 32 they... letters. Yeah. Oh, wow. You weren't getting a lot of custom embroidery growing up, yeah. were you? <laughs> Thankfully not. Well, it's so great to be sitting with you because we're here in San Francisco. I'm here for work. And we met in London, how long ago? Six years ago? 2011. Wow. Yeah. Time has really flown by. So yeah, so we met in London and I actually just want to share with you three impressions that I had the moment that we met when we were living in London. (laughs) Because we had all graduated college at that point, university. Exactly. And three things really stuck up to me. One- you were incredibly nice. And a lot of those girls in London were not kind to me, which we'll get to later. That's true. Two, you had a very, very doting boyfriend who just adored you. Just, I've never seen someone love someone so much. Um, you guys are no longer together. That's a whole other story. But it just like, I was like, wow, I've never seen someone so under a spell. And then three, you were just such a go-getting like entrepreneur businesswoman. I remember when you were like, I'm going to start a fashion line. Literally, like six months later, you're at London Fashion Week. Yeah. Then you're like, then I'm opening a store. Then, then I'm going to do a runway show. Then I'm going to do this huge thing in New York. And then like, it was just, you had a vision and you just went after it. And that's rare for young women to just fully jump into an entrepreneurial project, like starting your own fashion line. So I was just like, this Nagarin girl is very cool. I just need to stay close to her because she's goals. I don't know. If anything, you took me to the coolest bars. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. But you know, it's so interesting because looking back, I really recognize how important it was that you were so kind to me because I think, you know, coming in, you knew all those girls hated me. I, we have a mutual friend. I don't know. Those girls hated everyone. They hated everyone. But they were, I, I could tell they were like, who is Brooke? Why is she always around? Why is she friends with Luke? They were like, just giving me the evil eye at every single event. They were just not nice. And you were always just like, hey, come with us, hey, sit with come, us, yeah, grab a drink, let's go this, dance. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you're, I, you just stood out so much. And it really, oh. I think um, I have to be honest, something about the London culture. I do think because of, of the royalness of their culture and the aristocracy, there is definitely a, a separation between if you're a royal or if you're somehow connected oh, yeah. to a British family versus if you're a newcomer. And I I do feel that, you know, the cliche of, oh, America's full of opportunities. It truly is because mm-hmm. that separation and that recognition doesn't really exist and no one really cares where you come from. It's really exactly. a matter of what you do. So I do think that London is definitely a tough city. And now that I look back living in California, I I understand like in terms of um, racial mixture, it's definitely quite English, even though we think that it's very international, it is quite white and English. And I think that 
that can be uh, quite challenging for some of us who've grown up in really kind of accepting American multiracial environments. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I also just think that I feel like New York is the kind of city where you can have best friends in a month. Yeah. And I think London, it took me like a good yeah. eight months to even yeah. feel like I was halfway close to anyone. Like it's a yeah. hard city to, to break. crack ice. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. That's the British culture. The other thing that's really funny is we were what, 21, 22? Oh we God. fully thought we were adults. Like I can, <laughs> I have visions of us being like, where are we getting a table tonight? Like we just don't, like, isn't it funny looking back how yeah, like we thought we, we were, were fully adults? We were very mature. I, I uh, truly, I do think that for our age, we were, I mean, now that I look back and I speak to 21 year olds, I think we were, I think we were very okay. mature. Yeah. Me too. That's reassuring. I think, I think we were a little advanced for our age group. And, yeah. and you know, my boyfriend at the time was 20 years older than me. And yeah, it was, yeah. We were definitely rolling. He was 20 years older than yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Maybe that's what it takes to find someone that adores you so much. <laughs> I mean, I hope people are listening and taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you are not English. Where are you from? I know the answer. Mm -hmm. But then also I'm curious where people think you are from because you're racially that's ambiguous. Like I could see people thinking you were Mexican. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Iran, in Tehran, until I was 10 years old. And I moved to America um, at 10. And I lived in the States till I was 22. Where did you move when you came from Tehran? It was very complicated when we left the country. And my father was taken in the airplane, actually. And so last minute, we had to divert. Instead of coming to Washington, D.C., we came to Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. And so after a year in Princeton, we moved to outside of D.C. And then I went to college in New York. And then I moved to Italy at 22. And then I moved to London at 23. Wow. Yeah. So what was it like as a 10-year-old coming to America for the um, first time. And it sounds like there were some pretty intense circumstances. Yeah. So I, I thought I spoke English <laughs> because I'd taken some classes in Iran. Once I landed in America, I realized I didn't speak any English. So it was it was really difficult going to an American school with probably 30 like um, English words, like elephant, things that were totally useless to my daily routine. Like, I don't understand why they taught me names of animals. That was were, really... were people kind to you when you... Um, I was definitely a little bit bullied for mm. somebody who kind of was, you know, um, the chatty girl in the room. I think it was a very intense um, flip over in terms of who I was in Iran versus who I was in America. Wow. But yeah, maybe that's why you were bullying. so nice to me. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm. I think that you had yeah. empathy for being a new person, and that's yeah. probably why you, were, you reached out and you were kind to me. Yeah, bullying is a funny thing, but I think I was kind of resilient towards it. And after a year, when I started speaking English, I kind of, you know, I kind of forgot about it that it ever happened. But the worst part was when I could understand everyone, but I couldn't. Speak speak it. Wow. So I could understand what everybody would say about me, but I couldn't speak English. You couldn't yet. come so with I like a quick comeback. Yeah. Or, or they had no idea that I could understand. And I think that was- What were they saying? Um, I think one time I tried to sit with a few girls at lunch and they just flat out started talking about me, that they didn't want to sit with me and they moved. And then I like hysterically started crying oh and I God. ran upstairs to the class and they understood that I understood. Her name was Catherine and she ran after me and she came into class and she started crying with me Aww. and told me she's so sorry. Shout out to Catherine <laughs> for having a heart. But yeah, it happens. Happens to every foreign child. <laughs> yeah, no, it happened to me when I went to a new school. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I'm friends with my bully now. So that's it's okay. <laughs> That's good. Lead, live, and learn. So where do people think you're from? So um, that's really interesting. So when I lived in London, everybody thought that I was from the Middle East. And when I now live in America, everybody thinks I'm from South America. Interesting. So it's kind of what's the closest tan, dark hair area is, is kind yes. of what they associate yes. me with. Yes. <laughs> so I kind of got very different directions of guessing depending on where I lived, which which makes a lot of sense. But sometimes when I have a little bit of an accent coming out, they then they get really confused in terms of it's Latin based or Middle Eastern based. Interesting. Yeah. This may be an ignorant question, but I've noticed that a lot of people from Iran refer to themselves as Persian yes. versus Iranian. Yes. That's a little bit incorrect. It's okay. kind of saying I'm Roman instead of saying Italian. I'm Italian. <laughs> so the land of Persia no longer exists. Um, <laughs> but I think people who want to uh, dissociate themselves from perhaps the current regime or um, they want to say, you know, they're liberal and open-minded, yeah. I feel like usually tend to 
connect themselves with being Persian versus Iranian. But the correct term is I am Iranian. Iranian. Yes. That's fair. I mean, my husband talks to me all the time about how he says I'm from Istanbul. He doesn't like say I'm Turkish. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess New Yorkers often say I'm from New York. They don't say I'm from America. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fair. Fair. So, so what was it like growing up in Tehran in terms of, and I'm speaking again from a place of ignorance. I have not spent time in Tehran, but from what I see, a lot of women are covered like they wear yeah, hijab. Um, and I'm just wondering, like growing up as a young girl, how did you self-present and how did you understand beauty at a young age? Yeah. So it's really interesting because America's going through a phase right now, obviously, with, with this very hyper-intensive beauty movement. Yes. And really, the Iranian women have been going through that for probably the past, you know, since 1979 when the hijab was reinforced. And so, or enforced after many years of, the, you know, the Shah, the Shah getting exiled. And so what they can only expose is their face. Mm-hmm. So their face is everything Everything. to them. So they have to cover their hair. They kind of have to wear a longer coat that, you know, covers like kind of like lower thigh. Um, And then, you know, you just, you can't really be exposing sexiness. That's kind of how I like to describe the hijab in Iran because it's a lot different than some of the other Muslim countries. Um, So you can have some of your hair out. You can have your entire face out. And so that's all they have to expose. So they take incredible care of their skin and Mm. they wear so much makeup and, and I mean, they all look like they've spent hours and hours getting ready and they're literally just grocery shopping. Yeah. Well, but I think it makes sense that you would put so much emphasis on your face if that's the only thing that's visible. Exactly. Um, At what age do you have to start? Like, did did people in your- nine. Nine, okay. Mm -hmm. And so in your family, was this something that you knew you were going to have to do eventually? This is a really interesting question. So if you're a nine-year-old who looks like you're seven- then you can get away with you a can few get more away years. with it. So okay. it really just depends how mature you look, ah. and then and then obviously if you're very religious, then of course you start wearing it at nine years old. But it, it's not like there's police in the street checking little girls' IDs. You know, right. if they're nine or ten or ten and a half. Right. Um, but I never wore hijab. It was only in school. So in public life, I was never old enough to wear it in the street. Okay. Yeah. If you had stayed there, would you have had to wear it? Absolutely. Yeah. Probably by twelve. I couldn't pull off being nine anymore. <laughs> it's so interesting that you went into fashion, right? Because I feel like there's there's a big movement right now, modest fashion. Yes. A global movement. Yes. Do you have thoughts? Yes. Well, I've always been dressing like a nun as people make fun of yeah. me. But uh, I don't think that was because I was from Iran. I just think that I find the body a very sacred place. And I don't think that you need to get attention by exposing your skin. I think you can get attention by dressing interesting. Absolutely. And you have an amazing figure. And I feel like there's something very sexy about being covered up. And having a a nice figure. Yeah. Yes. It's it's like, it's like Robin Wright on House of Cards, Claire Underwood. She's always fully covered. I mean, everything from the neck down is covered, but she looks so sexy. And everything is kind of fitted and, you know, fits her to the T and it's super tailored and minimal. I mean, it's, yeah, she looks stunning and she never exposes too much skin or cleavage or doesn't wear short things. Yeah. That's, that's been kind of my motto since I launched Nagar in London. And I hope that I can teach girls and women to dress super interesting and still feel sexy without showing, you know, I guess kind of like a sex symbol of their cleavage or their, you know, too much of a short short. Exactly. Because if you wanted to, I mean, you have the smallest waist I've ever seen and like double Ds. So if you wanted to put it all out there, I know that you could. The double Ds I've been trying to get rid of my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But like if you wanted to go there, you could, but you just don't. No, definitely not. I always get those comments when people stare at me if I'm wearing something tight and they're like, wow, I never knew your boobs were that That big. big. I mean, I hear that probably once a week. (sighs) It's always exciting. And you grew up with brothers. You're the only girl in the family, right? So one brother and one sister. Oh. And they're a lot older. So I'm kind of the only child in a strange way. Okay. Interesting. Do you ever think about how different your life would have been if you stayed in Tehran? Yeah. I think about that all the time. I think in some ways it would have been incredible in terms of career, just because I I do think it's quite difficult to come to a new continent and a new country and kind of start everything from scratch, a language, your family line, a community. I do do think now that I'm 30 that, that that is quite challenging, but 
at the same time, I think the opportunities in America are completely endless. And right. that is really the truth. Right. And not not making this about your family, but your family is quite well known in Iran, like you come from a prominent family. Yeah, my father has had a very interesting history in politics and business, but um, he was definitely a man of standing very strongly for social rights and always getting his head somehow involved in politics, even if he didn't want to. But he's definitely taught us to kind of grow up and be very responsible for our beliefs and yeah. fight for human rights. And yeah, he's definitely a huge humanitarian. So that that's a big big feat to stand up to. Yeah. But also, I mean, he's also been very financially successful, let's say. Yeah. So, so depends how you look at his debts, but yes. Um, I think uh, some may say that he's more successful than he may actually be. I think at the end of the day, he's much more into making a difference than yes. he is about making money. Yes. I only bring it up to say that you chose to become an entrepreneur and like a lot of girls in your position could have just not worked. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I think my dad was very strict on us. Um, he and was like, I, mean, I expect you guys to have careers. I think because he came from a very poor family, he didn't really know how to have a family that lived in a wealthy lifestyle. And I never forget this one time when he had cancer, I walked in on him in the hospital in his room and he'd just been a few days after like, you know, a removal of a bump and I can't find him anywhere. And I, I didn't even realize he could get up and go into the toilet and I opened the toilet and he's washing his socks with his hands. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I just, my socks were dirty. I'm like, why are you washing those? Like I can wash them for you. He was like, well, no, I just thought I should just do all the laundry by hand in a hospital sink. Wow. So certainly a guy that didn't necessarily live, you know, any kind of wealthy lifestyle. So I do think that that had a lot to do with how we were raised and for the better or worse. I think even if you, my dad is a very intense person. I mean, even if you, you know, don't exercise with him for two hours every day, he'll think that you're a huge failure in life. Oh my God. <laughs> so. And what about your mom? What what beauty lessons did you learn from your mom oh, growing wow. up? Oh wow, the best one in the world. So um, my mother has been hiding from the sun oh. since she was- She gets it. 13 years old. She gets it. Shoku has never driven a car without gloves. Oh my God. Because hands and neck are the first things that show signs of aging. Because hands and neck, according to her, are the first things. She refuses to go outside without a hat. She has been wearing 60 SPF sunscreen yes. since I remember her name. I mean, the woman is incredibly- Massive shades too. And she's, you know, now I think she's 59 and she looks about 40. Oh my, I'm sure. So the recipe works. Stay away from the sun. So when you were out in the sun- as a girl growing up, was she like, oh my God, what are you doing? You know, like, did you funny. grow up fearing being in the sun? Um, it's so funny you say that. I think it's, she got it in our heads to be so scared of the sun mm -hmm. that I was never in the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was always <laughs> hiding from the sun. And even if I played tennis or, you know, even like the, the, the American, as you would say, sports outside, I was always so terrified to be in the sun. And I remember choosing my courts. I would always pick the court that was in the shade. I was, I was always terrified of the sun yeah. and it totally rubbed off and I'm still terrified of the sun. It's interesting because we all know now that the sun does horrible damage to your skin. And if you are going to be in the sun, then you need to have SPF on. But it's interesting to think about the cultural context it takes because in the black community, a lot of girls growing up are dissuaded from being in the sun because it's like, you don't want to get too dark, right? Which is obviously horrible and awful and it's colorism and it's like nowhere. So you're totally right. I would say that Iranian culture is exactly the okay. same. So being fair is seen exactly. as more beautiful. Being fair means that you were so wealthy that you lived in a castle mm. and being dark means you were in the rice fields and, you know, doing <laughs> doing farm labor and that's why you were in the sun. And that's totally what they associate it with and they're all terrified of the sun. Okay, so there aren't like tanning booths in Iran. No. It's not a thing. I mean, now, now there are because the westernness has kind of dipped yeah. in there, but um, I would say the older generation would never go in a tanning booth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's so, it's it's amazing how colonization globally yeah. has prized yep. white European features as beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty wild and also so refreshing that things are really changing. I know. For once. <laughs> finally. For once. Yeah. I always respected in the casting, every time you hired models for your, your lookbook, anything you did, you always had really diverse models. Was it important to you that as you were creating Nagar in London that you had representation. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I think a lot of it had to do, I think as a designer, so much what you design 
fortunately or unfortunately, has a lot to do with what your body type is and mm-hmm. what your skin tone mm-hmm. is. And I think because I'm darker, I always tend to, as you know, made so many pastel clothing. Beautiful made colors. so many light colors. And I, I really, I really stay away from dark clothing. And I think that has a lot to do with my own skin tone and how I don't like to wear dark colors. And evidently because of that, I chose models that were tan or, you know, ambiguous. I love, I always loved models that you could not tell where they were from. Where they were from. But it's very interesting interesting you say this because in my current new fashion company that I'm about to launch, we're making a board on what models we're about to recruit. And I've gone way darker and way more ambiguous than previously. And I think that whether it's the media that's affecting me or I'm trying to be louder about my voice, yeah, but it's definitely shifting, especially for the male collection. You know, I'm, I'm choosing two African models. Yeah, it's funny. And I, I sometimes just think everything looks... So much better on dark skin. On dark well, skin. it's so interesting because I know that colors look better on me than dark colors. Like I know that like yellow and orange, but sometimes I just don't want that attention. Like I just want to blend in okay. more. Like I don't want to be in white. Like, I mean, I just, in my head, I have the lifestyle where I can have white clothing, but yeah. in reality, the spills and like, so I hard. just, yeah. You have to be so put together and not take public transportation. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm running to the subway every morning and then just. Impossible. You have like a shade of darkness on top of white clothes. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Did you always love color? Yes, um, yes. I've always been, I'm not a trained colorist, but I like to call myself that. Uh, No, you, because you you paint as well. I mean, you're you're an artist. Exactly. So my my degree, you're absolutely right. My degree was in painting. So I've always loved colors. I've always been a huge color mixer and a color, I guess you could say like a fam, like grouping family colors together that people are shocked about, but it works. And I think that's kind of a specialty I've had from a very young age. For people that are afraid to experiment with color in their wardrobe, what's like a good starting point? Like, is it like get a bright scarf? Get That's a really good question. You know, Every skin tone has a complementary color. Okay. So, for example, let's let's take the redheads because they always struggle the most yes. with. Okay. So, a girl who's a redhead looks beautiful in lilac. Interesting. And it's that combination that. of like orange and the blues, which then leads into the lilacs. That mm. that combination is always on our boards, and we always think it looks so beautiful. And every time we have lilac clothes, we hire a redhead model. And so there's always a compliment to your skin tone and your hair. And if you can get that recipe, yes. then you know what color is the first to introduce into your closet. What about for makeup? Because I feel like you always have a very fresh-faced, natural look. Do you experiment with color in your makeup? A little bit. Sometimes I think because I have very large features, I think you have to be careful if you have like big eyes and big lips, like, you know, to to sometimes overdoing it just makes it look so much larger and intense. But in terms of makeup, I I do like to stick to the nude shades a lot more and pink shades. I mean, I think dark skin looks so good with pink. And if you're fair, pink always gets lost in your face. But if you're dark, pink always always is a contrast. It's such a beautiful contrast. So I would, I usually try to stick to pink products and like coral pink. I like corals too. Yeah. Corals do really well for us. You know, it doesn't do well at all. And it makes me look purple. Fuchsia pink. Oh really? The one color in the world I can't wear is fuchsia pink. I just literally, I turn purple. (laughs) Do you know what your undertones are? I, 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 it's always so confusing to me. I don't know. Like for my skin tone? Yeah, they say like to decide if you have warm or cool undertones, it's like does silver or gold look better on I you? I definitely have cool undertones. But you mix silver and gold. Yeah, I do. Which I love. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I love silver and gold, both of them. But like rose gold looks better on us, I think sometimes. It like brings out. Oh yeah, rose gold yeah. is beautiful on dark skin. But yeah, if you, people always ask me, what's the one color you can't wear? Fuchsia pink makes me look like I'm like purple. Really? I doubt that. It's pretty awful. It's like that one <laughs> shade of our childhood, you know, that like really like bright Barney. Pink. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I can it's see that. It's awful. So <laughs> you were an entrepreneur. Then you stopped being an entrepreneur and worked for someone else. And yeah, now you're going I back. I took off, kind of. I took off, I took off about a year and did some consultancy work and started- Here in San Francisco. Here in San Francisco. And I um, I actually started doing couture, which was kind of weird Whoa. because it was kind of just serendipity that happened. But from the stores I had, I had some women who wanted things that they couldn't find anywhere. And I just said, I'll make them for you. So we just started doing like 
you know, made to measure bespoke clothing, which is kind of couture. And I would sketch for them. They would pick fabrics and we would literally make things for them and for their size. And that was a phenomenal gig for me. And so as I launch my new company, I will keep that um, and continue to do made to measure um, for friends, family and old clients. I love that. I will definitely be ordering some <laughs> stuff because I... For my wedding dress, I just had it designed. Like oh, you, I, yeah. I looked at it's price tags so and I was like, well, you want what for this? Like, I'll just find a dressmaker, for, we'll sketch it out. Exactly. And for, I'll have the dress of my yeah. dreams. For for two to five thousand dollars, you can get an amazing exactly. thing made from scratch, you know, sketched out for you exactly to your size, exactly, exactly. the fabric you want. I, I really think that's gonna be a lot of the future of where the fashion industry leads. Exactly. Cause it's like in your head, you know exactly what you want and you're yeah. always trying to find Impossible a product that find. meets it. Absolutely. And you'd be surprised how many people know exactly what they want and exactly. they can't find it. Exactly. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited for this new company yeah. now. So cashmere and couture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. <laughs> they kind of rhyme together. <laughs> now here in San Francisco, we don't know how long you're going to stay here. It's a million dollar question. <laughs> do, do you feel like people understand you as like a creative and someone with a fashion background? Because it's quite techie here. Um, I think they're really confused by me. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You're very smart. And I, I interviewed um, Amelia on this podcast and she's a data scientist and she works with all men. Right. All very tech. Right. And she talks about how when she's at work, she puts her hair back. She does not wear makeup. She's wearing a blaze. She's just like straightforward because she's like, I don't want to come in with my curls and my big lashes because immediately I just want to be taken seriously. So I don't girl it up. Wow. And I mean, I'm sure you have investor meetings. I mean, you meet with, yeah. do you, do you ever think, feel like? I think because I dress a little masculine, though it's, it's quite aggressive and colorful and funky, I definitely dress a little bit masculine. I've noticed that I'm always in like a weird collar shirt with like a weird sweater on top of it. And, and these big like vintage looking earrings. And I definitely give a very kind of intense, um, I'm here, this is my presence vibe. And yeah. I think that men get more intimidated by that than actually feeling the need to like overpower me. I see. And so I do tend to dress the same. If anything, I dress even more funkier when I'm in a room with a lot of men because I want to be loud about the fact that I'm very different. Yes of what they're used to. And I like to very much clarify that I'm a creative individual yes. and I don't come from the technology world. And I guess that form of communication for me is through what I'm wearing. I think that's smart to lean into what makes you different. <laughs> Perhaps. I think this city can definitely feel a little bit too consistent in terms oh, of what everybody disgusting. wears, let's just, what let's everybody just, let's looks just, like. And it's yeah. quite sad because it loses its individualism a bit. And I really, I think I've become more, more fashion forward I mean, and it's crazy due good. to that. Yeah. It's really scary to me when you see a room full of everyone in Allbirds in Patagonia. Same t-shirt. It's same scary. It's more or less the same jeans and they even all have the same hair. Same haircut. <laughs> It's just bizarre. <laughs> and it's real. That's really what's happening in those meeting rooms. And yeah, so I think- You can imagine how different yeah, I seem. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, they always said to me, why do you think you were more successful in San Francisco than London? And my response is always, I was a fish in a big sea in London. And now I'm a big fish in a small yes, sea in San Francisco. I love that. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. And then when you share with people that you are from Iran, do you feel like they under, like, do you feel like people, Americans specifically perception of Iran is accurate in terms of reality? Because I would imagine no, you, you go back. Absolutely not. How, where do you think the gap is? Unfortunately, I think the media portrays an awful image. And I think that, you know, it really disheartens me to meet Harvard and Stanford graduates who tell me that, oh, isn't it so dangerous to visit Iran? And mm. that's when I understand how, I, and I shouldn't call them ignorant. I don't think that's the right way to describe that because it's not necessarily their fault yeah. that they are interpreting what they see on TV. They have nothing else to base their opinion on. Right. I'm the first Iranian that they've met. Who, you know, who yeah. am I to say? If somebody sat in front of us every day and said, you know, if you walk into Kenya, you will get shot. And right. if the TV says that to you every single day, you're going to think, okay, then if I walk in there, I'm going to get shot. So I think that it's hard to say that, you know, they're not educated or they're not cultured, but I, it's really a shame that people 
in this area don't necessarily get to travel as much yeah. because they're so far mm-hmm. from that side of the world. And, you know, they're very comfortable here. So I think I wish there was a way to show them that it's not unsafe to visit Iran and many people do and they're completely fine and they really enjoy themselves. Yeah. And are you, are you Muslim? Um, no, I grew up in a family that, uh, never enforced any religion. Okay. So we were just given a book <laughs> that described the top five religions in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> and <laughs> they were like, here's a sampling platter. Yeah, it's like, do you connect with any of it? And if you don't, you do can you like come any back of these for more dishes? information. <laughs> yeah. And it was a very interesting way. I love to... that actually. That's that's really cool. Your parents yeah, did that. Yeah. I really like that. So that was kind of how we were raised, believe it or not. My mother was quite spiritual, but nothing, you know, she just believed in God and another mm-hmm. entity of, of spiritual form. And she's always been very spiritual. But yeah, we were kind of quite loose in the, okay. in the I don't know if that's the right term, but. Now, th- now this next question, I do not want to make you the spokesperson for all Muslim women because I hate <laughs> when people do this to me, but I'm just, I want to hear your personal point of view, not speaking on behalf of an entire culture and group of women. A lot of people say that being covered up is actually a form of empowerment because you have full agency over what you choose to show and you actually don't, it, it's, it's freeing in a way because you do not have to worry about yeah. everything you're wearing and how you look and your body. And then a lot of people say that actually, how could how could you have bought into that brainwashing? It's oppressive yep. and it's a, like a symptom of a misogynistic culture. And to call it anything other than that is fooling yourself. I was informed something very interesting by a scholar recently, which was why hijab was enforced 2000 years ago. Okay. And the reason for that was at the time Muhammad was starting to become very recognized as a prophet, there was a lot of women in the streets that looked obvious if they were from a poor family or if they were from a rich family. And if you look like you were poor, you would get abducted and raped. And it was a very Mm. simple mathematics that was going down. So when he came into power, he decided to cover them all up in the same outfit. So nobody knew who was from what family. Wow. It's like a uniform. It was a uniform. And believe it or not, the abductions and the rapes stopped because the men were now scared if they were touching the daughter of X, Y, and Z versus like this rich family's maid. So actually it did work. And when people hear that, they're like, oh my God, it obviously made a lot of sense 1,300 years ago. Now it's 2019 and things are very different. And, you know, we have cameras and we can perhaps maybe control some men around the world. And so I think it's important to understand why hijab was enforced to begin with. And that, uh, yes, of course, the power dynamic of women and men back then was very different because men had a physical power. They had physical strength. So mm. if it came down to a woman and man, probably the man would kill of the course. woman. But I, I do think that it's, I think it's important to respect people's beliefs and what people come from. Mm-hmm. I think when you lack judgment on what how others are different than you, that is a very kind of high level of wisdom. Yeah. And I think that you should never blame people for where they come from. Yes. And if you grew up in a Muslim family, the chances of you being Muslim is quite high. Yeah. And I don't think anyone should disrespect that. I totally agree. And so well said. And I've seen this myself at Harrods. Harrods in London is the perfect place to see this. These women they may be fully covered up, but they're in Birkin bags and underneath yeah, they're like in full head to toe, like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, you name it. Amazing bodies. Like it's not like they're just, oh, forget what's under here. Cause exactly. it's still like, there's something very powerful about no one else may see this, but for me, it matters. I, I kind of agree with you. And if anything, with the crazy exposure with social media, now I even appreciate that even more, yeah. right? Today, when I cleaned my entire apartment, I was like, this is for me. Mm-hmm. This is not for anybody yes. else. And it's, yes. there's something very powerful about that. I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is that, you know, because you're married and when you have a partner after that, a lot of women dress for their girlfriends, Oh yeah, totally. And dress for women. Like you want to look nice because you get together with your girls. And and I, I think that's really beautiful how you could really see that in the Saudi culture because yeah. that's kind of when they see each other is when it's a girl's party. That's when they're wearing their stunning gowns right, and their makeup. Right, they can take off the job when shoes. they're with exactly. the other girls. Yeah, so there's something really nice about kind of expressing yourself within that circle. That's really cool. I hadn't yeah. even thought about that. Yeah. 
So you have amazing skin. Oh my God, sometimes. What's what's your skincare routine? Um, so believe it or not, it is very simple. Oh God. I okay. Know. It's genetic. So, it's genetic. It's I fine. It's, it's not your hiding fault. from the sun. Okay. Um, but so I wash my face with soap. What kind of soap? Any organic soap I can get my hands on. Okay. So if I'm going to a hotel and I forgot my soap, I'll like read on their soap and if it okay. like has chemicals in it. But usually I I use like any organic soap. Like I'll go to I'll go to Whole Foods and I'll switch it up. So there's not like one particular brand I stick with. Soap and that's literally it. Wait. Yeah. So are you telling me that the only thing you do for your skin is wash it with soap. You yeah. don't do, you don't put on moisturizer no, or eye not, cream. Not at night. So at night, I, I feel I, like you're, there's, there's some steps missing here. If, no, no, if no. you're being so honest. At night, no, no, no. I, I do a you're lot like in the I'm morning. A, I'm a prisoner. Like okay, I just, okay. Actually, water and soap. I'm a simple girl. Like what? So, so if I, okay, no. Okay. If I, if I'm going to bed, I wash my face with soap and I. <laughs> We've established yeah, that. And I literally, if, if I have a pimple, I will put like one dab of acne medicine on that particular bump. I don't like rub it in because then that dries out my skin. So that's all I do. In the morning when I get up, that's when I put the sunscreen and moisturizer. So you wake up, do you wash your face again? No. Okay. Yeah. Because you want to keep those natural oils. Exactly. And then you just put on sunscreen? Well, that's tricky. If I'm exercising, then I'm showering. Then yeah. Yeah. Then um, Let's say you're not exercising. If If I'm not actually, and I've showered the night before, exactly. I will I've washed my face and I leave it dry. I'll always put my lip balm because I always like, I always have chapped lips. Which lip balm do you use? Bioderma. Okay. It's very nice. Interesting. I've gone through a lot of different ones. Um, and I just got Barbara Strum's oh, lip balm. Yes. Everyone's obsessed with her. I know. <laughs> I don't believe in paying a lot of money for lip balm. It's but so I, expensive. I'll, I'll trust you. But because that's one of the only few things I use, I thought that I should invest in it. So um, yeah, so we'll see about that. But so I put lip balm and I'll go to bed with, unfortunately, sometimes my hair in a huge towel twisted around. And then the next day I will put um, Ren, the totally um, non-toxic yeah, I love Ren. moisturizer and a Shishido. Yeah. 50 SPF. Oh, nice. Is yeah. it the like the UVA, UVB defense cream? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's apparently very popular in Japan. It's very I, popular in Japan. Yeah. That's, I thought that would be the right decision to go with. Yes. Do you um, know which Ren cream you use? Is uh, it one of the rose ones? It's, or? It's, it has a pink. So yeah, I think it's one of the rose ones. I just know it's completely non-toxic and it's her best uh, moisturizer. Oh my like gosh. Like her best selling moisturizer. You have like a beautiful girl's beauty routine. Like just, <laughs> just a little moisturizer and lip but balm. honestly, Brooke, I really, really think the more stuff you put on, the, the more. more your face reacts. And oh, it's yeah. the more I touch it, the more things I put on, the more oh, I have 100%. awful reactions. And I mean, I'm all like natural beauty is like the thing that I believe in most in this world. Like I think that so many of these products are so toxic and so toxic, even sheet masks. I'm like, I know everything's in Korean. Do you know what you're putting on your face? No, you don't. You know? So the other thing that I am a huge strong believer in is food. I think that changing your nutrition because you went keto for a bit. You told I went me keto. What was that like? Did you get the keto flu? 37 days. <gasps> I oh had gosh. the worst keto flu. I thought I okay, was wait, dying. Let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> a ketogenic diet means there's a high ratio of fats and protein no. and very little carbs. No. no. Okay. So, Educate me. so yes and no. So the idea is that you eat one fourth protein. Okay. And two thirds fat. Yeah. So it's like a lot of avocado. A lot of avocado, but it's a very tricky diet. Yeah. Well, no, the nuts are very tricky because they have carbohydrate in them. Oh my God. So what are you supposed to eat? Like lard? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to eat butter. How do you get so much fat in your diet? Oh, it's really hard. So I was just about to say, if you don't eat enough fat, you don't go into ketosis. This is the trick. You're you're doing a weird version of that. Were you like testing your pee with these strips? Oh God. You were in it. Yeah, I was in it. Oh my God. You're, really fully, you're fully it. a San Francisco person now. And, uh, well, I don't Drinking bulletproof coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but it's like a whole thing of like biohacking, right? Yeah. Like, can we hack our bodies yeah. for weight loss or optimal fitness? Okay. I remember though, the, the best thing I ever heard was when I first started the keto and I was telling somebody at the grocery store, like some random person that like was purchasing my items and he goes, are you an engineer? And I said, no. And he said, oh, I heard all the all the computer scientists are doing this. I said, what? And he's like, yeah, they want to code and they want to just go on 12, day, 12 hours without eating. And I thought, 
what? And so that's when I realized why I had lost so much of my appetite. So long story short, you have to put in your weight into the keto calculator. It tells you how many grams of carbohydrates you can have, how much protein. Wait, 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 wait. What is the keto calculator? Is that so like a- There's an app. Okay, there's okay. one online. Website, okay. You can find any keto calculator. Okay. And it just depends a ratio and corresponds to your weight and how many th- how much of those items you can eat. And you really have to be strict and you really, really have to follow it to the T to the grams. I mean, I messed up my protein intake the first week and I did not go on keto. So are you measuring your food? Um, so anything that you eat, you have to kind of calculate in terms like if you're having 200 grams of steak, you have to like figure out how much protein that has and calculate it and make sure that you don't oh have more God. than 50 grams of protein. Is this a way to live? It's very hard. It's one of the hardest diets ever, actually, but I'm not going to lie to you. I've You felt amazing. My skin looked like it had butter yeah. injected <laughs> under my, 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 my face. I mean, it was every single bump that I ever had on my face had disappeared. Gone. It was unbelievable. I mean, here's the thing. It makes sense that once you cut out carbs sugar, and sugar yeah. and all of that stuff that you would thrive. Yeah. But then I just think about the enjoying life also makes you beautiful. Yes. (laughs) You know, and if you're just like measuring things and just stressed out all the time, it's like, yeah, that's not a good look either. So I I like to say this on this on this because I wish someone had told me this Mm. because any article that I read didn't warn me for this. And after speaking to my boyfriend and my sister, who unfortunately I made all these other people do the keto as well, (laughs) um, I realized that it was really affecting a lot of moods. Like it was making people quite angry and moody. How can you socialize and go out to dinner with people or get drinks? I think it's the ketosis that kind of feels like this insane boost of energy inside Mm. your system, which kind of feels like you're on a crazy amount of coffee all day long without having a crash. I think that puts intense people a little bit on the edge. Mm. And I wish someone had said to me, like, you're going to be really moody or like yeah. the people around you on this diet are going to be really moody. Like, just watch out. And like, and like that was not mentioned anywhere on the diet. So I thought that was I thought that was kind of my takeaway. And it's not a lifestyle to live. But I think it makes you incredibly informed of what's in every single food that you're eating yes. in terms of carbs and protein. And- so so maybe just take me through a, a typical day when you were doing keto. What, mm-hmm. would, what would you eat? So I, I said to, this to my mom two days ago. So the best way to get on keto is salmon, avocado, and spinach. Those are all foods I love. For like 70 hours. Oh my God. Yeah. But can you, can you add sauces? Like, can I add a nice little teriyaki sauce to the salmon or? Absolutely not. So it's just like salt, pepper, salmon. And hot sauce. You can have a lot of hot sauce. I don't like spicy food. Then. <laughs> okay. So what do you eat for breakfast? Um, I would have avocados and eggs. Did you miss bread? So much. Yeah. Like I love, like we just went to flour and water. So good. We had a pizza to split and then um, and I both had our own pastas and then we got dessert and we were like, we're really not keto friendly. (laughs) We're really just out here. And like, we were like, yeah, let's go into a carb coma and fall asleep. But married exactly. couples do. Like, right. that's happiness. Yeah, though. you don't have carb coma and keto. You're so hyper at night. You don't know what to do with yourself. It's really, it's a fascinating. Did you lose night. a lot of weight? Yeah, I lost a lot of weight. I lost 10 pounds in 30 days. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have weight to lose. I mean, I just felt so energetic and light. And you just, you know, you kind of feel like a bird. Like, you just. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way? Or? Yeah, you're like, you're so hyper and light. Like, your whole body just feels like it's kind of in the air. It's It's amazing. I suggest everyone to try it for 30 days. Oh, wait, I wait, think, wait. Okay. Yeah. These are mixed messages. No, it no, made no, no. you yeah. cranky and it was like the hardest thing you've ever done, but you suggest everyone do it. Yes. Because I think you get to see your best potential okay. ever Fair. like in your lifetime, like your skin, your body. You're just like, True. wow, I could look like this. This is amazing. And I think it's good for everyone to yeah. have that moment. Okay. And you work out also. Yeah. I didn't work out a lot on the keto diet, but um, I would go on walks, but I wouldn't necessarily do like a spin class or okay. like a really intense run. I just kept it kind of slow. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into the three beauty products that you are absolutely obsessed with at the moment. I've been using two products for 16 years. Oh my God. Since I was 14 years old. The first one is the under eye um, Chanel concealer. Really? Yes. I just bought Chanel mascara for the first time because all of my, all of the Naked Beauty Planet community on Instagram told me oh, really? that I had to try the Chanel mascara and oh, it's very good. That's interesting. That takes me to my number two product, which is the Lancome Definisil um, oh, mascara, which yes. I've been using since I was 14 years old. Oh my God. 
What what type of concealer is the Chanel concealer? So it's actually quite odd because they don't sell it at all the Chanel stands. It's okay. very hit or miss. It's very matte. YSL tried to do a copy. It was like a little bit successful, but really I've heard from everybody at Sephora and all the makeup experts that um, NARS and Chanel's are the most similar. Yeah. Okay. So is it like the NARS creamy concealer? Exactly. I love that. It's very similar, but it seeps into your skin and it doesn't make, it's very consistent with the rest of the shininess or the matteness of your skin. It just kind of really seeps in. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, if I don't have that, I literally feel naked. Yeah. It's like your must have. It's a must have. And then my fourth one, shoot, I have to get the name for you. God. Oh. It's fine. You can tell me after the fact. Okay, we'll add it good. to the show notes. It's a new blush I've discovered at Credo, which... Well, everyone loves... I know, because everything is non-toxic. Yeah. Um, and it's a phenomenal... So I always feel like I put blush on and I look much better with blush because it kind of gives me life. Like it's like my, yeah. my, my blood looks like it's like rushing more through yeah. my skin. And so you dab it on your face and it's kind of it's kind of like a really thick cream and it does not come off. Is it because you're wise? Yes. Oh my God, I met her this summer. I have this blush because someone on my podcast, um, Danielle, said it's a game changer, especially for dark skin because it actually shows up. It does. And so I met her at this beauty shop in um, Sag Harbor and I told her and she was like, we'll send you one. And they sent me one. Oh my God, how wonderful. And it's expensive, so I was happy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to be like, I'm not going to spend $72 on blush. But it yeah. lasts for a long time. It lasts for such a long... It's honestly, when I come home at night, usually a lot of my makeup is gone. The blush is always there. Oh yeah, yeah. And I haven't really discovered that much makeup that like other than mascara and eyeliner, like things that really stay on for that many hours. Anyway, so those are my three things I can't currently live without and I love them. Oh my gosh. And also shout out to her because she's really into like beauty sustainability and all of the blushes. It's like, Right. You can refill the pods. Exactly. So much of what you're paying for for makeup is the packaging, is the packaging which is just insane. And it just contributes to so much waste in the environment. So I appreciate a conscious beauty entrepreneur. And and it's funny because when I first bought the blush, I thought it was insane how heavy it was. I oh, was yeah. Like, what is this? It's a very heavy packaging. Like one pound piece of metal. This is insane. And so I said that to the, the sales lady there and she was like, oh, no, no, you can come back and refill it. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense that yeah. it feels like a, such a substantial piece of jewelry that I would never throw away this exactly. So I thought she did a very smart, you know, thing of making that so heavy. And so you recycle it or you take it back to get it refilled. But yeah. Okay. And what about the beauty trends that you're just over and like, Mm. it's 2019, it's new year. Just let's just not do this anymore. Yeah. One thing I'm really not, I mean, I just think it's the most ridiculous thing ever is, you know, those random pieces of stone that you just rub against your skin. (laughs) It is like the the, the jade rollers. It's and the, so silly. I yeah. can. I, mean, I have I, a jade roller, but it's it's fine. I have I, a mini jade roller. How often do you actually use it? Like when I travel, I'll use it like under my eyes. But it was thirty dollars, so I, it wasn't you think like it's ever worked. I think it works to circulate blood around the skin, but I fully acknowledge that like a cold spoon, your hands exactly. Anything, Put a spoon in a freezer, yeah. and then take it out. I mean, a cold spoon in a freezer is like the best for under eye exactly. bags. Exactly, yeah. and so I just think it's such. And also, I've gone, th- I've become so obsessed with decluttering. Yes. So anything that doesn't have a proper purpose, I'm like, get it out of here. Yeah, you it's know, just extra. And it's like those things. I go to people's homes and they don't have one. They don't have two. They have like three <laughs> types of stones. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why are you paying this much money for a carved out heart that you're <laughs> you know, scrubbing <laughs> against your cheek. This makes absolutely no sense. And so I'm I'm really like, I feel so strongly about those yeah. chunks of stone and I just yeah. find the whole thing very silly. Because I think that the intention behind it is nice. Like you can teach yourself how to do a self-facial massage, yeah. which is actually great yeah. to do um, and just to get the blood flowing and get the muscles right. alive. But you don't need a fancy stone exactly. to do it. And any, any super high-end, you know, facial I've ever had, it's always been so much with the fingers. Oh, totally. And I also don't even really believe in facials. Like I don't get facials. Yeah, I mean, only, I, I do yeah. sometimes, but. I've only gotten four in my whole life. I got one facial and I had like a mark for like six months afterwards because they were trying to extract something that wasn't really. The more really... you touch your face, the more it reacts. Okay. Other things you're over? I mean, this is a little too general, but I think there's just been, I think because the beauty pro- beauty companies want to make so much money, there's so many types of creams and so much of this layering oh, that's yeah. happening. And I, I just find it, it's just very silly and kind of a waste of money. And I, and I remember a dermatologist told me one time, like, nothing is going to seep inside your skin other than moisturizer and sunscreen. And like, 
everything else is literally a marketing scam. And I, I just could not believe that sentence. And now that I look back of how many things are sold online for other purposes, I just, I can't believe it. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think beauty is probably, it's probably the most interesting industry to be a marketer in. My whole career I've been in marketing, but yeah. I've never done marketing for a beauty company. And it's funny because my mom used to do marketing at Revlon. Exactly. And she always said like, we're selling hope in a jar. That that's exactly you know? what what it is. Yep, that is a, selling a lot of hope <laughs> and a jar, <laughs> a lot, lot of hope yeah. and dreams. Yeah. Um. So I I do, but I mean I get it. Everybody's there to make money, and that's what they they have to do to survive. Can I ask about your hair? Because your hair is so pretty. Oh my god. Um. You have a highlight situation. I have a highlight. Yes. Um. I also did keratin. I don't really. I, I kind of know what it is. It's a treatment, but it makes your hair straight. It makes your hair straight. What is your natural hair type, Curly? Wavy. Wavy. But that I would got be a so bob. pretty. I know, but I got I, I cut my hair so short. And so I realized that I'm not a kind of person that could take care of it every single day. So I I just decided to go like a Japanese straight. So then I could just wake up every day, shower, and literally walk out of the shower and be ready. Yeah. Um, I mean, it saves 45 minutes out of your day, hands down. But oh, yeah. Um, Having curly hair is yeah, just it's so much work. It's a lot of work. And but it's so, so pretty. It would, it would You'd look amazing. I also missed curly hair, right? You always want what you get. Exactly. <laughs> so it did get washed out. Um, it, it disappears within six months. Um, but it was, it was, I think I recommend it for people who have short hair, not if you have longer, then okay. you, you should leave your hair curly. But And do um, you get blowouts or your hair is just naturally this no, sleek and beautiful? I'm obsessed with, I think it's $24.99 or something, the wand on Amazon. The what? The wand. It's like a curling iron, but you use your fingers to hold your hair on it. It doesn't have a clamp. Oh. And it's my favorite. Machine. Oh, you, you put your hair around the barrel of the iron. Exactly. With ah. And you hold it with your other hand. How often do you do that? Just like at night? Every other day. Really? Yeah. How long does it take to do your hair every day? Like 10 minutes. And I like this like side part with like the cute little like French tuck back on the side. Like you have like a cute little like ombre bobby pin. Like, like do a you- school girl. No, but it's very charming and cute and it shows off your earrings. Do you feel like- do you change it up? Are you like, sometimes my hair is up? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes my hair is down. I've been so inspired by you, Brooke. I, I, I mean, my hair like is always Instagram, different. I'm like, I should do a new hairdo. Um, every, every week, it's different. You're so good. You you explore the most amount I know with hair. I try very hard. I think it's it's really hard to find inspiration in your clothes and your makeup and your hair. I know. You know? It's a lot. It's a lot. But I definitely, I would say I, I've been doing kind of the same thing. And I, I listen to those blogs that say change up your shampoo. And I think it does work, actually. Yeah. But I'm a kind of a religious believer of Kerastol. And so I, okay. I've been using a lot of Kara sauce for the past 10 years. And I, I do think that her conditioners are, at the end of the day, the best in terms of, mm. like, taking away the frizziness of my hair. Who do people say you look like? Oh, one person. Who? I get stopped in the street Wait, wait. Oh, my gosh. Okay, don't tell me who it is. She's in politics. She, at some point, worked with Hillary Clinton. Now you can Oh, guess. my gosh. Huma. Huma. I see it. I see Ta-da. it. You're like a baby Huma. I'm a baby Huma. I mean, people stop me in the street <laughs> ask me if I'm her cousin or her sister. You should just be like, yeah. I know. I mean, I saw the documentary. I fell in love with her. Oh my God. That documentary is heartbreaking. I mean, and we're talking about Wiener, we- which honestly pay to, it's like the $4.99 that it costs to rent it. Just treat, I saw that in a movie theater alone Wow. at like Brooke. 11 a.m., like at a random like indie theater and l- laughed my ass. Like I was like, this is the funny. It I was cannot believe what I'm seeing on it screen. It was unbelievable. But I just have to say, I was at a dinner party last night and somebody dropped a joke and goes, Carlos Danger. And I said, <laughs> I said, who's Carlos Danger? That was like, his Don't alias. you remember his nickname? And I literally, I was bursting into tears oh from God. laughter. I mean, she's I, so chic and, she's and so glamorous composed. and composed and she and really s- held it together. Unbelievable. I mean, when I saw that, I just, you know, my, my, admiration for her went, I mean, unbelievable. The level of sophistication that you see through that film through her is incredible. Incredible. But then also at the same time, like, why are you still with him? Yeah. And she's still, actually, I just found out last night they they withdrew their, their divorce. So she must love this man. They're still not divorced. (laughs) She must love him. I personally think Anthony Weiner has an actual like mental issue. Oh, of course. And he clearly, I think probably something happened to him in his childhood. Something definitely like this is not a problem he can fix. And I think that she sees, you know, this wonderful humanitarian. I mean, when he spoke to the public, you know, it was unbelievable. He was amazing at his job. Like, how could it be possible that a man that's this much for people's rights is sending that to like 17 year olds? (sighs) Yeah. <laughs> it was 
I mean, all I'm saying is like these scandals don't happen with women. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just- That's very true. It's always men. <laughs> men. <laughs> it's always men. Like women just don't find themselves in these very true. scandals yeah. where they're sending like yeah, pictures a, of their vagina. That's so true. It's, to unsuspecting teenage boys. Okay. That's a really that's a really good point. Actually, you're right. Like in the history of politics, when was a woman ever Oh yeah. I'm I'm waiting for the female Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, okay, Where is they she? may be there, but I gotta exist. They haven't. I mean, a whole other discussion. Well, thanks to thanks to Uma, I'm getting more street recognition. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up, who were who were your beauty idols? Mm. Who did you just stare at for hours and think like, oh my God, if I could look like them? Or oh my gosh, they're so beautiful. Okay, I hate to admit this. Admit it. It's Britney a safe Spears. Space. Really? Yeah. Shocking. I thought she had the best body in the world. Like w- hit me baby one more time era. No. Um oops era. No, no guys. Toxic. Oop, oops, toxic. Toxic era. Toxic yeah. She peaked. Era. She peaked at toxic. Toxic. When guys, that diamond body you suit. You need to go back and yeah. see that video. Oh my gosh. Do you want that to be your intro for this episode? Toxic? <laughs> okay. I'll do I'll, I'll make that happen. She was amazing and toxic. I she mean, was. her body was out of this world and her outfit and her abs and her six pack. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I was probably more inspired by her body, but I just, I just thought she was so beautiful during that era. I really <laughs> you did. weren't, you weren't on team Christina Aguilera. <laughs> no. Yeah. She dirty, dirty doesn't align yeah, with your brand. Like, I just, yeah. I don't know. And she's, she always never wore the right clothes in her videos. I always <laughs> wanted to just like redress her, you know, she just looked like she was kind of struggling. Brittany definitely, <laughs> Brittany definitely had way more composed, composed, you know, confident in like toxic. And what was the other one with the red suit? Oops. Oops. I did it Oops, again. I did it again. Yeah, that that like, ponytail was epic. Yeah. And that's like, what? That latex suit? That was everything. I mean, who came up with that? It was is there, amazing. Is there anyone you look at now and think they're killing it? Like I, I just recently understood Ariana Grande, like for the, like for the, yeah. I was like, what? I don't get it. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. There's something, I don't, I don't, she's by no means a beauty icon for me, but who do you look at now and think, okay, they're really doing it? Emma Watson. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah. She's very chic. She's so chic. I love her. Like if I, if I had to have one brand ambassador, I think, and I just, she just screams elegance. She's so elegant. In every possible way. And she's so intellectual and I love how she's trying to get this new generation to read more. And anyway, I think, I think she's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I would say, and she's so beautiful on top of everything else. So, and tasteful. Yeah. She's pretty amazing. So yeah, I think uh, that would be kind of my number one. And in terms of beauty, I mean, I'm sure many women will agree with me, but Giselle, I mean, I just don't understand how a year passes by her. I know. And Giselle's been a beauty icon since we were like She's like, like 15. frozen. It's unbelievable how good she looks. Yeah. She's and her pretty. body and her skin and, and she has like such a natural glow. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure many women will say that, but I think- I don't know. The new generation, I don't think they care about Giselle Bunchen. I think she's like very like- Like old we're school 30. Like Yeah. For our generation, we're like, oh my gosh, Giselle. But they're like, ugh. Maybe. Yeah, They like a Kylie, you know? Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> She says judgmentally. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Tell me when you feel the most beautiful. Mm. This was really hard for me to answer. Okay. Um, Why was it hard for you to answer? Because I couldn't say naked because I think I look better with clothes on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of left the, the the category. And then I thought about, okay, why don't I think about my face? Like, when do I, you know, when do I look the most beautiful in terms of my, my face? And actually, it's when I have... The least bags under my eyes. Okay. That's when I feel the most beautiful. When my skin is the most consistent coloration. Okay. So when you're well rest- rested. When I'm very well rested and like have eaten the right food, I guess. Because I think my bags are always also correlated to that. But I think that the consistency of my skin, like those are the days you wake up and you look at sort of like, oh, like today is a good day for me. Or, oh no, you know, like what are these awful bags under my eyes? And so, um, yeah, I think that it's amazing, I guess, goes back to why all these companies are selling so many products, like things that are toning your skin. It really can make such an enormous difference on how you feel when you look at yourself naturally toned in the mirror. Totally. Yeah. And it sounds like for you, you've had this revelation, how much what you put into your body impacts your skin more so than 
what creams or whatever you're putting on so top of quickly your- impacts it so quickly I mean within a few days wow yeah so now you're post keto but will you continue like a more mindful diet like yes. have you taken some things with you yes from your keto journey yes I definitely have and I think that's another reason why I, I like everyone to do it because I think it makes you so aware of what you're putting in your body but for example as much as I love wine <laughs> I have really tried to eliminate it um from my drinking like routines and just introduce hard alcohol. <laughs> okay. That's a perfect note to end on. Um, yeah. Cheer, cheers to that. Yeah, tequila and, you know, just hard alcohol versus wine. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to toast with our red wine that we have here uh, in, in this little studio setup we've got. This has been so great to catch up. I can't believe it's been three years. So long since we've seen each other. Living the good LA life last time. I know. I know. We were like going to Grammys parties. Yeah, that was really fun. All right. Thank you so much, Nagarn, for being on thank you. Naked Beauty. I'm sorry I was overly honest. No. I'm like, come on. You listen You listen to the show, Nagarn. You of all people should know. When you listen to the show, which episodes do you like the most? They're really honest ones. Exactly. So thank you for contributing to creating more great content. I really enjoy that. Thank you, Brooke. Yes, so nice of to course. see you. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time with another episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.